Welcome to the Pain Solutions Podcast. Dr. Wayne Fimister is a family physician with a special interest in chronic pain, whose passion is finding solutions for this epidemic problem facing one-third of the adult population. He is a clinical associate professor at the University of British Columbia in Canada and has developed one of the first online medical trigger point injection courses for doctors and nurse practitioners, a technique that is easily learned and implemented into the medical office of any doctor or nurse practitioner treating chronic pain. To get free access to Pain Solutions newsletter, blogs, and to register for his online course, simply register at www.waynefimister.com. On the podcast, Dr. Wayne brings together experts from various segments to share with you how they solve people's pain problems and how you can get this treatment too. And now, here's your host, Dr. Wayne Fimister. Well, hello and welcome everybody to this podcast show. My very special guest tonight is Karen Wagner. She's a certified advanced practitioner of rolfing structural integration, otherwise known as a rolfer. She has a BA in women's health and a black belt in Kiaikido. She has 15 years of experience providing body work and movement sessions for adults, children, and babies. And Karen teaches a range of classes for the public on health topics like the nervous system and the biology of pain, food health, posture, walking, and sitting. So tonight we're going to talk about the subject matter of the nervous system and the biology of pain. So thank you, Karen, so much for joining me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay. So Karen, we're going to talk um, biology of pain, as we mentioned. So first, how does the nervous system, you know, relate to pain in different ways? Well, that's a great question. Pain is not just determined by signals from the tissue. That's only one factor in how much pain we experience. The brain and the nervous system assigns a level of pain to whatever our injury is or, or whatever problem might be going on based on the threat level that our nervous system perceives. Because our nervous system is entirely organized around keeping us safe, if it believes that we need to move to protect ourselves in some specific way, to move away from something that's too hot or to avoid stepping on a nail, then we will experience pain in relationship to our need to protect ourselves. And what about the other aspects like emotional pain, social pain? How does that tie in? Well, that's an interesting subject because emotional pain is experienced just like any other pain. When we talk about heartache, for instance, that is actually literally felt as a pain in the body. And social pain as well, the ways that our social signaling and social cueing is designed is to help us be part of a tribe that functions together well as a group. And so when we receive signals from other people that our behavior is outside of social norms, it actually physically hurts. That's why social situations and emotions can feel so painful is because they really are painful. And it's fascinating because there's a new definition of pain that's come out from an international association of study of pain. And it talks about this individual components of the emotions, the social impact, and also the physical sensory component which was very interesting to learn about last year in Boston at the conference, the World Congress. And you know, it's great for you to be bringing this up as, you know, mm-hmm. as an answer to the question. Okay, so we've got this pain, chronic pain, and many of our audience members you know, experience this. 
So how do you go on and heal pain? How do you improve that experience? Well, I think that as many of your previous presenters on this podcast have talked about, actually being willing to be present with whatever we're feeling is incredibly helpful. That's true of physical pain sensations, and it's also true of our nervous system responses. So when something happens and we have an emotional response to it, sometimes the urge is to push it away or cover it up with distractions, entertainment, food, whatever our favorite distractions are. But if instead we're brave enough to sit with our full experience and actually feel our emotions in our body, you know, we literally feel every emotion in the body. So sadness is often felt in the chest or the throat. Fear or anxiety is often felt in the belly. Anger is often felt in the shoulders, the jaw, the the head. But every shade of emotion is felt in a slightly different way, in a slightly different place. So if people are willing to tune in and be with those sensations and not necessarily try to change them, but just be present with it, a lot of times they do start to shift. And that's actually the key for starting to heal our relationship between the mind and the body. Interesting, because I was just driving home tonight and I was reflecting on an incident that happened this morning and at home. And you know, I could just feel this discomfort in my chest, you know, this uncomfortable feeling, this discord that reflected our situation with my wife. And, you know, as in any relationship, there's ups and downs. And it was, it was interesting to relate that because I think that's something in my own life that I've been a little bit slow to really appreciate. I'm not too sure why, but yeah, I can actually feel that tonight. And I just sat there and I just did some breathing and it just kind of passed, you know. Yeah, I can relate to that. So I'm sure our audience can relate to this as well. And I love what you said about the anger around the shoulders and the jaw. Um, that's a new one for me. So I appreciate that insight. Yes. And frustration, I find often people feel it in the temples. So for me, if I'm frustrated, I feel like like a cartoon character that has steam shooting out the ears. <laughs> Just a very high pressure sort of feeling. So yes, every emotion has its own places in the body for each person. Okay. So we've got these emotions and we feel under threat or we feel in pain. And then we need to move on and you know, get the concept that we're actually not in threat or danger, but we're actually safe. And it's important to be safe or keep safe. Can you maybe just share around that subject? Yeah, well, because our pain experiences have so much to do with our perceived threat level, anything that we can do that improves our sense of safety often can help our pain levels, or at least our experience of the pain. Even if the pain isn't less, it may be more, more easy to be with. So sometimes that means asking for support from our loved ones because as mammals, we are incredibly social creatures. Somewhere deep in our evolution, it became clear that we are safer in a group where we can support each other and help each other, hunt together, share resources, that sort of thing. So we are, are deeply wired to stay connected with other people and to actually want to help others, even strangers and to respond in our own nervous systems when we receive help and support. That's very interesting. You know, the fight-flight response is something that we learn about in school and higher education. So Mm -hmm. can you just share a little bit more about the fight-flight response and where that originated from and this moving on from there and even the freeze response, which I've learned about more recently in the research around trauma and how that affects us as individuals. The fight-or-flight response is 
an excellent example of how our biological systems are wired to keep us safe. Fight or flight is a response to perceived danger, and it is all about activating muscle energy and blood flow to the major muscle groups so that we can fight or flee. So fight or flight is a high activation state, and it's also very expensive for our physical biology. It usually doesn't feel very good to be in that state, especially if you're actually truly terrified. So we want to get out of it quickly. We want to move towards safety. Or sometimes if it's just simply overwhelming, all of the experiences of fight or flight, all the sensations are overwhelming, the freeze response can come in. The freeze response is a low energy state. Our listeners may have heard of rest and digest. That's the peaceful, calm, after Thanksgiving meal, vegetating, and just digesting. The rest and digest state is a low energy state. And that is actually what gets called into service to rise up on top of fight or flight and compress it, bring it down and soothe it like a wet blanket. It just, it calms all the heat and the fire of fight or flight. It brings the energy level way down and it causes immobility. So when people are in freeze, they often feel kind of paralyzed and helpless, but there's also an opiate response with freeze. So it soothes the pain of the uncomfortable sensations with fight or flight. So it can be confusing for people because when, when that freeze response begins to lift, there's still fight or flight churning underneath it. So it's not uncommon that people alternate between freeze and then fight or flight and then fight or flight gets overwhelming. So they go back into freeze and then the freeze starts to lift and they go into fight or flight. And I think that if people understand that relationship, then they can have more patience for their own experience. And in that sense, fight or flight is actually good medicine for the freeze response. When people are in freeze and we want to pull them out of it, we actually want them to move. So even if they can only wiggle their fingers, or even if they can only maybe do some little task like get up to pull the laundry out of the dryer, or just go for a walk around the block, just little tiny movements that get people taking physical action is actually really helpful for freeze response. And that will move them out of freeze into more fight flight in the nervous system. Yes. And one type of movement that can be especially helpful is taking action to defend ourselves. So if there's a boundary that needs to be set or a difficult email that needs to be sent or some other physical action that needs to be taken, to make a positive choice to protect ourselves, then that is using fight or flight to a very good end. Very interesting. This is fantastic. I would say an example with this, our whole culture is in a freeze response about climate change. We hear terrible news about the polar ice caps melting and all of the, the different climate change results that are happening around the world. Venice is flooding more and more every year, all of these things, and uh, an increase of tornadoes and earthquakes and volcano eruptions, lots of climate disruption. And most of us feel powerless. She can make seem so small compared to the enormity of the problem. And yet, choosing to take action in whatever ways that person finds meaningful, and that means reducing waste and pollution in our own lives, and also lobbying for political change that those ways of taking action are what we need to move out of the freeze response in relationship to climate change. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, action with a heart-based intent literally is changing a nervous system as we do it and literally is healing us one small part at a time. That's a wonderful mm-hmm. example. Okay, so we've talked about the fight flight. We've talked about overwhelm, freezing. So what are ways, you've mentioned movement. You know, I love that. You move your fingers, you know, and you can start to heal. So what are the other things that our audience could be doing to further help heal this traumatized nervous system? Well, mindfulness practices really help. Although I caution people not to embark on a necessarily a big meditation process right away because if people start with too difficult of a goal, it can be very discouraging. So I recommend that people moving meditation like yoga or qigong or tai chi or any mindfulness practice that involves movement. And that could be just a walking mindfulness. It also includes being mindful while you're doing chores and while you're eating. Also, art, music, singing is incredibly good for the nervous system. Writing, all of those things, any kind of self-expression, those can be very good for the nervous system. Talk therapy with a compassionate therapist that has a good skill set can be really helpful. And body work with a skilled practitioner also can really help when the person's at the right point in their journey for that. Okay, so we've got these basic activities that we all can do. And you also mentioned at the beginning, you know, the definition of pain regarding emotional and social. So how could we do this in a more group level, say in a family unit, so you've got kids or an older parent that, you know, struggling, how could we help these people um, and our loved ones or friends in this situation? Well, one of the things that is truly good for the nervous system is to participate in activities that we really enjoy. So helping to make space for that, for each family member to have activities that really light them up. I think that's really helpful. Taking time to be curious about other people's needs and supporting each other's personal growth is incredibly important. And then because social connection is so important that it really reflects the highest level of our nervous system because it's the part of the nervous system that is just for mammals. So it's the most... uh, advanced evolutionary portion of our nervous system. It's called the social engagement system. That element of social connection is where humor and creativity and playfulness come in. So anytime we can have a good laugh with our family members and friends or engage in activities that bring out our creativity and our playfulness, that's all wonderful. We've come kind of full circle. You know, we've talked about how the nervous system is affected from a survival response and then how it can dive around, you know, the flight, flight, freeze response and, and then move on to literally heal through individual actions, which we can all do. And, and also socially, it's interesting we're sharing this tonight because it's something I've personally been working on in the last month where, you know, we're just doing simple things, driving to work or walking from my car to the office or, you know, having a glass of water and just really being present and not just being present, but really engage my heart where I feel the joy of that simple act. Mm-hmm. And I love what Dr. David Hanscom talks about in his website called backingcontrol.com. And his whole thrust is get people to rewire the nervous system by focusing on enjoyment. 
you know, enjoyment of the small things which can build to, to bigger things. And mm-hmm. it's so true, you know, when we take away the focus from our pain or that sort of stuff, and then we just move to enjoyment. And the heart is connecting with the brain and there's this holistic healing connection which literally changes everything within us, the chemistry, the, the nervous system, and also the, the neuropeptides, the proteins flying around in our bloodstream, and also the hormones flying around in our bloodstream all literally change. And we just move forward in this journey towards mm-hmm. healing and recovery. So I really thank you for your excellent description of what is going on inside us. Now, Karen, is there anything else you would like to share just as before we wrap this up? Mm-hmm. Um, covered a lot of great stuff tonight. I really appreciate your insights and, and teaching. Thank you. Well, yeah, I just want to add something to what you were just saying. Actually, sensory pleasures, sensory enjoyment is one of those ways that we can really sort of do a hack for the nervous system. So you talk about just walking into work and just really experiencing that moment, taking the time to feel the air on your skin, to feel the sunshine on your face, to notice the beauty around you, or even if you're in the middle of a city and maybe it's sort of a rugged beauty, but to appreciate whatever lands in your senses and to try to be good natured about whatever's there. So for instance, if you're passing by a playground and it's loud with children shrieking and laughing and playing, that's a delightful noise. We always have the opportunity to move into gratitude and appreciation for whatever's happening. Yes, gratitude is a wonderful way to finish up this podcast and just encourage the audience tonight, be grateful for things. If you're struggling about, say, a situation, a person or event, force yourself to say 10 good things in your mind or out loud about that situation. You know, force yourself to go beyond the struggle. And it's amazing what happens. We've got the ability to be conscious in our situation and to bring out the good when often we get stuck in ruts and in situations which pain certainly drives us to because it's difficult to get clarity of thought. So I just encourage your audience to to be grateful Mm -hmm. and to make the best of what they can do in the moment. So again, as I say, wrap this up. I thank you so much, Karen. It'd be great to have you on again. You've got lots of things to share, I'm sure. And we'll maybe do that in the future. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. 